On today's episode, I'm going to be talking with Jason Knott from CE Pro and Mark Corbin from Vanco. Uh, we'll be talking about a couple of things, specifically uh, navigating the supply chain woes that all of our integrators are facing and building better networks for Resimercial and work for home applications. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 337, The Awkward Nephew. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Extron, industry-leading technology backed by world-class support. This is Resi Week. As you may notice, this is not Matt Scott. This is Uncle Richie, Rich Fragosa. I'm filling in for my good friend Matt today. And uh, we've got a lot of things to talk about, a couple of things actually. Uh, but before we get started, I'd like to introduce two gentlemen who I am very happy to have here. And uh, obviously are gonna do some most of the heavy lifting since I'm, I'm pitch hitting for Matt on this one. And I am super fortunate to have these two gentlemen here, best guys for it. First off, it's Mark Corbin. Mark is the president of Vanco International. Mark, great to have you here. Thank you so much, Rich. Really looking forward to have, talking with you guys today. I'm very excited about it. Well, I had the opportunity to interview you guys not only at ISE, but also at Infocom. So I've gotten definitely the deep dive of it and a lot, <laughs> a lot of products, a lot, a lot of information to process. Um, the next person is somebody who I've known for quite a long time, a friend of the show, but just a friend in general, um, Jason Knott, the editor of CE Pro. Jason, it's always great to see you. Welcome. It's great to be here, Rich. Thanks for having me. And if you're Uncle Rich, then I'm awkward nephew Jason. <laughs> we'll work with that one, right? Okay. You know, you know, everybody, everybody needs one of those. By the end of the show, we're gonna have a nickname for Mark, right? He'll, he'll be, he'll be. A, I'm, gonna, I'm afraid to know what that might be. <laughs> right, distant cousin Mark. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, there are a couple of stories that we wanted to talk about this week. Uh, the first one, um, and ironically so, uh, comes to us from CE Pro. Uh, CE Pro has a story that is obviously something that we've talked about a lot. Um, but still is going to be a conversation piece for the rest of the year. Uh, the story starts with distributors offer their best advice for navigating the AV supply chain. Uh, you know, this was kind of interesting because this is a obvious issue for dealers, for manufacturers, and everybody's kind of pitching in and trying to figure out how, uh, you know, to deal with, with this issue. We're, we, we deal in technology. We deal in products that require chips, that require electronics, and there is something called a global supply chain shortage. And, you know, what they go into, this is interesting for me, was that they, you know, we talked to the dealers, um, but this was how do the intermediaries deal with it? Uh, distributors are in a rough position because, right, they hold product. And if they don't have product to hold, they can't get it to dealers. And so they're... Uh, article, which I would definitely suggest uh, when you check the links after, talk uh, uh, about some of the basics of how to deal with what is going to be the ongoing supply chain issue. Um, you know, everything from basics like communication and, you know, forecast planning and everything else. And you know, I'll touch back on the story in a second. But, you know, Mark, uh, I'm going to go to this one with you because this is great because you're a manufacturer. 
And obviously, if you go to the dealer forums and the boards and all of the online groups that are out there, uh, you know, you can throw a nickel and hear about a, a dealer supply chain issue and, and woes and, and, you know, and it's definitely affecting business. But we don't always get the opportunity to sit and talk with the manufacturer. And, you know, I think sometimes the, <laughs> the rough part is that although people know that you're working hard, <laughs> They don't always appreciate that you're working hard. Let's talk about this a little bit from, you know, let's talk about the distributor side because obviously you deal with distributors and your experience with that. But, you know, really more importantly, the manufacturer side. Sure. Um, it's funny. I was looking at the uh, the, the article and, and this is a great question you're asking. You know, we've, we're blessed to really deal with all these distributors uh, that, you know, commented and I definitely know Helia well too, but it's interesting because we really, as a manufacturer, we've had to work extremely closely with our distributors. And that's, it's a, that's the absolute truth. If you read through the article talking about brainstorming extra inventory to get brought in, uh, you know, over ordering certain items, uh, it, that's really important when you're communicating directly with the distributor. Uh, you have to have a game plan when you're having shortages. You have to be upfront. Your communication has to be extreme because Things have been changing monthly, to be honest with you. We could go from a nine to 12 month lead time to all of a sudden a six. And those kind of things have to be communicated immediately just from an inventory standpoint. So on the distributor side, it's, it has been extremely important for us to communicate thoroughly with them and, and go, come up with game plans for each distributor, depending on what their forte is, whether it's security, AV, speakers specifically, uh, flat panels, whatever it is, right? those things have to be addressed. From the manufacturing side, what's become extremely challenging is one, lead times, but two, some of your products don't have those lead times. So if, for example, you're in the cable industry where we're not utilizing chipsets nearly much unless they're active cables, it isn't as big of a deal. So your ordering can differ between on the product you're dealing with, especially amplifiers, for example. We've all heard the horror story of that. Um, we as a company have been actually having to side by chipsets just to be able to try to deal with this because even from our true manufacturers who should be buying the chipsets with us in China that we have, we're having to go to a whole different facility just to get chipsets to finish off products. That also adds more QC time though. So what's been really interesting is as you're trying to build your inventory when you can get it, you're also trying to figure out how can you get other pieces to really fulfill the rest of your orders. And, and it's, it's, it's a very interesting process. And this goes for speakers, it goes for amplifiers, it goes for any kind of uh, Wi-Fi control piece, uh, you know, wireless piece, any kind of Bluetooth piece. Th these are the things we're all struggling with. And uh, to, to your point, trying is all we've been doing and, and to be able to even forecast these things is a challenge. And our biggest fear as a manufacturer is, and I'm, you know, we talked about this, I think two years ago, we were getting products fine and now we're seeing we can't get products. Well, my biggest fear is that chain will eventually catch up. Then it is, you know, how do we manage the products coming in at that time? Because I know as a matter of fact, Vanco, we definitely are over inventory on certain things because we had no idea how to anticipate even the shipping leads and the manufacturing leads at that point because of the demand. So what's really important for manufacturers and distributors in the future 
is to communicate because I do think there will be a flux in 2023 where we're going to see a lot of products possibly on shelves at this point. And one of the main reasons for that is even people who can't get amplifiers who have to get amplifiers are getting amplifiers somewhere else because they got to finish jobs. That will, that will cause load up on inventory, which will be an interesting case come in 2023. And that as a manufacturer, I do pay attention to very closely because you know we will see a point where we're back into inventory, but our distributors could have a lot of inventory on their shelves just trying to fulfill back orders. Those back orders could get canceled due to the fact that they're use, having to use other products to solve things. So it, it's going to be a, uh, in my opinion, it's probably going to be a tough battle up until 2023 when we start to see inventory levels come back to a full standard. I'm going to go ahead and circle back to that in a sec, but but I want to get some input from from Jason. So Jason, obviously, CE Pro and you know the other magazines that that you deal with. Um, I mean, you're you're in the heart of it. You know, you're you're you guys are running obviously this story so this is this is um obviously newsworthy and it, it stays in the news cycle um from your perspective being able to deal with dealers and with distributors and manufacturers and kind of being the fly on the wall where do you see this going where you know i mean we've got everybody offering advice um at this point and we kind of keep going down the chain in terms of when you're speaking with dealers and with the distributors where you know, we're, we're halfway, we're, we're past the halfway point of 2022, right? Where do you see that this path, this next section as we close 22 and 23 as it relates to this story? Well, what Mark just brought up was fascinating to me because it's something I hadn't even thought of that that tipping point might happen where the uh, demand is going to catch up. The supply is going to catch up to the demand and then it's going to reverse uh, uh situation. So that's going to be very fascinating to watch. I mean, I'm amazed. I just saw something yesterday from a major manufacturer, um, not in this space, but in the technology space, excuse me, saying that they think this is going to go into 2024, which is amazing to even contemplate. But just kind of coalescing this article, if people didn't get a chance to read it, there's some really good tips in there. And I'm just kind of kind of run through the ones that I kind of pulled out that I think integrators might want to focus on one is order early you know the earlier you order then the earlier it gets into the system also um that cuts down on expedited shipping costs that you may have uh had to carry in the past um look at stocking up on key uh high turnover items you know even if you don't have a sold product and you have the cash flow and you can you can maintain some sort of a small inventory as an integrator Go ahead and buy some of those extra products for future projects, even though you haven't sold them yet, if you have the money. Um, this might be the time to investigate some new brands, as Mark said. And that we know that's happening. You know, And actually, I've, we're just getting ready to deploy a survey to find out exactly how broad that switching of brands has become during this time frame. Um, so a lot of integrators are looking to new brands just because of availability. Um, something I heard is a great tip is uh, make your proposals um, brand agnostic. You know, you're going to say to that customer, you're going to have an AVR. I cannot tell you what the specific brand of that AVR is going to be in your project when it comes time for the installation. Um, but don't lock yourself into that specific brand if you can't. Install in phases. Um, is there a way that you can go to a customer that, you know, you were doing a whole house lighting system and you can't get the lighting modules now? 
for the whole house. Hey, can I just do this main room and then we can do the rest of the house as we as we get to it? I've heard some integrators talking about that. Uh, Mark hit on this, which I think is a great point, is build the relationships with your manufacturers right now. You know, that guy, you know, the guy that why be a jerk to a manufacturer that guess what? That's going to come back to, to nest right now. When is the time that if you had formed those strong relationships, those strong bonds with the manufacturers, then that's going to you know help you get access to those products that you want. And then the other thing that I think is going to have a great long-term byproduct of this whole situation is that now it's forcing integrators to ask for the deposits earlier. So now you've got to you you shouldn't be buying that product until you've got the deposit. You know I did just say you know, talking out of the other side of my, you know what, that if you can stock up on certain brands, you don't have the project, go ahead and do that. But for the most part, you got to be asking for those deposits earlier. And we're hearing that from integrators that they are, this has forced them to not be as lax in terms of getting that money in their hand before they, they go out and, and, and buy something. So I have a question for Mark though, and this is kind of twofold. And part of this, this whole situation is, you know, how much, we hear about the difference between the retail inflation numbers and the um, the the raw supplier level, and it's the supply chain is not only putting you know the the inability to get the products, but also the cost of shipping them to ex to get that shipping over from China or, or Mex up from Mexico or wherever it may be. How much of that pressure has been put on the manufacturers to? pass along that cost? Are you guys eating some of those costs as manufacturers and, and only really having to get them out to the dealers when you, when you just can't do it anymore? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great question. Inflation of shipping alone really doesn't get weighed in as much because it's more, everyone talks about raw goods. Uh, the biggest part of inflation is, you know, we'll just give some standard numbers. If, if I'm bringing in a, you know, a, a, a entire trailer that's, let's call it, you know, it's a 40-footer, if I'm bringing that in at, let's say, $7,000 three years ago, and I'm bringing it in at $24,000 now, where does that inflation get put in, right? Because you're not talking raw goods at that point. You're not talking building materials. You're not talking truly manufacturing. You're just talking about moving the product. So as a manufacturer, that has been one of the most extreme challenges, is that we couldn't even predict that inflation of how difficult getting products over overseas to here would cost and not to mention just the inflation of containers alone uh, and if you're importing a lot of containers like most manufacturers are right uh, it, it's almost impossible to catch up on that until it starts to go back down because otherwise it's it's hard to give a price increase when you can't really measure the raw materials and you know the actual manufacturing process and labor and all that you can't roll that into shipping as easily right so that's something that just has consistently changed. I will say it's starting to flatten out, but that's still, I mean, that's still 60, 70% higher than we've, we've been paying for the last two years. So um, those things have made it really challenging. I think the lead times have gotten more secured, meaning the lead times are adequate, but they're longer, right? So instead of 60 days, I'm at 90 days, but it's staying at 90 days. And that's the problem is that my fear is, is when I was talking about what happens when it goes the other way, 
it happened to me on a few categories where I over I over ordered because there was a big demand and we were pushing products out the door and all of a sudden my order shows up in 60 days. Well now as a manufacturer I got double my inventory that I thought was going to take another 120 days to come in. It actually took only 60 days to come in. So that that really changes to the way manufacturers are having to work even with their distributors. So that's why that communication thing is so big because we're still not quite have the formula for how quickly products are going to be coming in. Like I said, they're getting better, they're getting steadier, but we still got these long lead times and I worry about that cycle flipping towards 2023. So. Let me ask you one other quick question. Sorry, Rich, is, and that's related to, um, I hear from integrators who are like, oh, well, my client just says I'll pay more. If I can get, you know, uh, whatever, if, if I got to pay more to get the product um, or get it shipped here quicker, I'll just pay more. Is that really an option? I mean, it's it's allocated. I mean, it should be allocated. It's I mean, there it, there's no rush shipping. I mean, I think you guys have heard the stories. We're in the same boat. The minute we get amplifiers in, they're out the door. You know, I mean, it's just it's one of those things that in our system it's allocated to who order who who's got the orders in first, and that, that I mean, hopefully that's how it should be. Now I'm sure some larger mass retailers probably have some commitment to. Some manufacturers, we, we specifically don't sell to retail, but, uh, you know, I, I just can tell you right now, I don't think paying extra for shipping is is uh, is causing you to get the product any faster. I mean, that, that really isn't, from my side of things, I haven't seen that really take place. Well, it's good to know that there isn't, uh, you know, the secret code word to get the good stuff out of the, out of the, out of the back room, right? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously we could continue on supply. We can, we, we have done shows on supply chain issue, but I think let's go ahead and let's, let's move on to the next one. Uh, the next story comes to us from residential systems. Um, and it's something that we're seeing a lot of as well, which is resimercial is becoming a, a huge sector for, uh, the integrator community. And, uh, this article comes to us from Nathan Holmes, who is the uh, senior manager of training over at Snap One, which was a, a nice little guest spot that he put in. And really, they're talking about building better networks for work from home and for resimercial applications. Uh, this is, uh, you know, again, I'm I'm still a consultant, so this is something that we've seen a shift and we've uh, battled with over the years. Uh, you know, we've always been proponents of using uh, higher. Uh, higher security, uh, just more robust, hardened networking systems, you know, across the board, you know, network security is something that we're finding more and more is becoming part of the news. And for integrators, it's something that is uh, uncomfortable territory at times. And, you know, one of the things that I liked about the article is that they do talk about some of just the kind of the greatest hits <laughs> of the transition of uh, instead of using kind of an off the shelf that you could find in your gosh almost local supermarket at this point um but you know you can go ahead and you can get eggs you can get diapers children's clothing and wi-fi routers uh that's not always the best approach to take when you are dealing outside of just a a personal use application um they go on to talk about you know things like you know really the basics of networking setting up your use cases determining what's going to be connected. Um, are they going to have to, obviously, in work-from-home applications, how are they going to access uh, potentially sensitive information from a company? Um, you know, we're seeing the shift. I think everybody that we've talked to talks about things like, uh, you know, 
hybrid, uh, you know, hybrid work, hybrid learning. Uh, we're hearing the terms that are coming around that they call meeting equity, where you are trying to create as close as possible an out of office and an in office experience as much as you can. Well, you need a network in order to be able to get close to it. Um, Jason, I, kn I know that I'm going to start with you first. Um, you know, CE Pro has covered this quite a bit as well, dealing with integrators, dealing with uh, network engineers. You know, you and I both have relationships with a lot of the um, CE-specific uh, network companies in in the uh, the chain. Talk a little bit about um, what you're seeing as the shift when you're talking with dealers, and and are they seeing this shift towards residential and work for home, and how's it affecting their businesses? Yeah, this was a great article, I think, just because it went through, as you said, some of those real key important uh, tips that uh, integrators need to do when they're setting up these networks for the home offices. A um, couple of ones that I hadn't even really thought of, which was the idea of putting in more access points than you normally would in a residential environment if it's going to be a home office um, entailed. And then also the, the uh, uh, backup power, uh, which typically a home office is not going to have a backup power. Uh, power situation or battery backup. Um, but to your point, it's interesting what we're hearing from integrators in regards to the work from home thing is that a lot of integrators are telling me that the C-suite executives who are, have been, were forced during the pandemic to work from home, uh, they were finding a lot of business with them. But for um, you know, the rest of the people in, the, in an organization, it was really kind of a fend for yourself environment. And most of the integrators I spoke with were having real success with presidents and CEOs and executive VPs and those sorts of uh, people. But beyond that, um, the, the general worker who was forced to work from home, they were not seeing a lot of business there at um, the, from a home office setup standpoint. So the one other thing about this article that I think is important to point out is, and you touched on it, the security measures. I still see cybersecurity as the, one of the next big frontiers for integrators. And, you know, according to our research, 27% of, and only 27% of integrators are doing any sort of cybersecurity offering to their customer base. That means 73% are doing nothing to offer some sort of uh, cyber protection. And they're, they're going under the assumption that whatever's built into the hardware of the equipment that they're installing at the network is good enough. And I think they need to really look hard at uh, cybersecurity. We just ran an article last week um, on CE Pro, if anybody gets a chance to check it out, about an integrator who fell prey to a phishing incident via his email, and it cost his, his builder $62,000 in a wire transfer that came from his email uh, being hacked. So it's uh, it's something that integrators need to address on the network side. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it is a great story, and, and we are hearing more and more about it. And, uh, you know, the, the liability issues um, as integrators do start becoming more involved with the network. Obviously, we're moving to an AV over IP world. We just, we see it. I mean, Jason and I go back to the days of, you know, when we still had to hand solder DB25s, you know, and VGA cables and, and you know, in the analog world had a, a you, you, your security was more a matter of just get the signal over there first and then we'll worry about if somebody else can see it next. Uh, but it is rapidly evolving. And, 
you know, um, you know, like I said earlier, I, I, I had the opportunity to do some pretty extensive booth tours over at ISC and, and Infocom with Banco. I mean, you're heading into it's a, you know, again, I mean, there, if there's a skew, <laughs> you know, there's that digital duct tape that you guys are providing for it at this point. Um, where, you know, and again, from the manufacturer standpoint, you know, you're not necessarily making networking products, but you're making devices that have to operate on these networks. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, this is, by the way, this is a great article. I agree with Jason. This is a really good read. And some of the things that really no, I noticed stick out because even when we're manufacturing, it's funny because this is definitely like, how does an integrator set up a, you know, a network? How should it be done? But it's really not much different, guys, than when I'm sitting here looking at my AV over IP and I'm saying, okay, uh, like read this article. It's pretty amazing, right? I mean, know your, adhere to the industry standards, right? What is everyone, you know, what does your system need to be set up for? Uh, for example, if I'm making an IP system, do I know exactly the right router to have? Do I have the right, you know, power? When it comes to, uh, I, I love even the fact that they go down into wire when possible, hardwire when possible. Little things like looking at your five gig between your 2.4. A lot of people don't realize that if you're using a dual banded router, you will lose some, when it's trying to figure out five, gigahertz, five gigahertz to 2.4, you get a communication error sometimes. These are all really important tips. And as a manufacturer, we, we really abide by similar tips, right? Even though I'm not truly a network manufacturer, I am still making sure that when I design a product, it's adhering to all the you know industry standards. It has the security in mind, right? Where it's it's capable of blocking out users and monitoring it. And I think the biggest thing is for any of the integrators and, and dealers out there, you, you have to be able to remote monitor everything, right? So you it is so necessary to make sure that your that network's protected because if you need to get into it. A lot of guys are too far away to be able to, you know, figure something out immediately. It needs to be remote accessible. And that includes all these products over IP, whether it be lighting, whether it be, you know, video control, whether it be audio control. Um, you know, you're going to see audio over IP coming out this year. I mean, you're going to see a lot of this stuff. And it's never changing. So reading this article is extremely beneficial. I was very impressed with it. Um, and I will tell you, from my standpoint to Jason's point, I think uh, there's categories of people that ResiMercial has really grown. Uh, just from the manufacturer side, I'll tell you up front, uh, sales, marketing, and to your point, Jason, upper management are definitely, you know, putting in more ResiMercial just in their homes. But we've noticed just in the last six months that the, you know, IP sales just in the Resi market have gone way up. And it just shows you that more and more people, to your point, Rich, too, are adapting to an IP dedicated system. So more than ever, this article means a lot. So it's, a, it's very well done and I enjoyed reading it. And I, it, it's fun to talk about because guys, we're just gonna keep seeing this and, and it's only gonna keep enhancing. And like I said, I love having both viewpoints of, you know, Jason, you're dealing direct with the dealers on one way. Uh, Mark, you're obviously dealing with the, your dealers who are like, we need product. We, we, we have to work their way through. Are we seeing that integrators? I mean, I think, I, I think the commercial channel 
has always had a different route that they've taken because uh, you know when you're you're in an office building you're in an, a, a, a corporate workspace you're in a classroom um, you know IT is typically not your sandbox you're typically working hand in hand with them resi and when you're taking that leap from one to the other a lot of times you're the point of contact for the client um, if you had one or two things that you would tell from your experience from the manufacturer side and also Jason from what you've been dealing with with the dealers what would the advice be that you would be giving them if you haven't stepped into this market why should you I'm I mean not, what I hear from uh, integrators one they love this uh, the doing resi-mercial work um, um, because, and again, I'm talking about the residential integrator who might be moving into the corporate environment or the retail or um, uh, bars, clubs, restaurants, so that kind of that kind of migration towards commercial, if we're talking about that direction. Dealers love that because the projects are bigger and they're not dealing with the persnickety heads of household and usually the installations are easier because you've got open ceilings and things like that that they can deal with. Um, it's interesting, though, that um, our data showed the pandemic that hit, the, hit the commercial market very hard. We all know that. You know, our, it, it had built up to almost 40% of the typical residential integrators' revenue was coming from commercial projects. And when the pandemic hit, it went down to 17%. So that a lot of that, you know, people just weren't going to bars, clubs and restaurants and offices and those sorts of things. Um, so I think it's coming back. We saw a 2 percent tick uptick up to 19 percent last year uh, compared to uh, the first year of the pandemic. I think it's going to come back even stronger. But I'll say this also, the crossover, the, the lines were blurring before um, and it's going to continue. I've talked to major manufacturers who I've gone and visited and they're showing me, you know, unified communication systems and things like that. And I'm like, why are you doing that? And they're like, why are you showing me that? I'm here with CE Pro. And they're like, because any of our corporate boardroom projects that have fewer than five boardrooms are being done by a resi guy. The, 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 the large commercial pro AV guys, the projects are too small for them. So I don't know if that's changed in the pandemic or not, but that's kind of where, where it is. It, but you know, by any the same reason that residential integrators diversified into commercial in 20, 2008 when the housing market crashed is the same reason that I think you're seeing this cross diversification now when the commercial market was hit so hard. It, behan it behooves integrators of all types to have that cross pollination, in my opinion. Great. Mark, I'm going to tee this up for you. Um, you know, Vanco. You know, barn restaurant business, you know, I mean, there, there, there's solutions that, you know, I, I spec them before. I've seen them before. There's, you know, there's, there's lots of reasons why Vanco product makes its way into uh, non-residential applications. Um, you know, obviously you've moved into UC. We've seen that uh, as well. And, and one of the things when Jason was bringing it up and, and just talking about people going away We've also been seeing another trend over the past six months that I didn't expect coming out of um, the pandemic was the reliance now, especially in resi commercial, in hospitality, in restaurant, small bar, mom and pop shops, um, gosh, even even like convenience stores. There's no more physical items anymore for like shopping lists or menus or all of a sudden, you can't walk into a place without a QR code. 
and pulling it up. And if that system's down, <laughs> you can't just hand somebody the old vinyl covered menu anymore. And I know that, you know, part of I've always seen Vanco is that you have front and center pieces. But what I've always appreciated is that you kind of the sweet spot has always been the backbone pieces. Um, as a manufacturer, and because you cross so many segments, what is that advice that you you would provide these the, you know your dealers going to was like who are on the fence and like ah oh, you know we don't want to deal with that networking stuff. So it's so crazy. I was just going to make a point that think about every restaurant you go into, think about every bar you go into. It's there's all this digital signage everywhere. There's a flat panel everywhere. It's explaining everything. These guys understand how to work these equipment. Our equipment's not just my equipment. There's equipment simple enough to set up and use uh, that that isn't going to have 100 sources to 300 displays, right? Uh, that's a totally different job. To your point, the bars, the restaurants, the small local uh, retail stores for whatever they are. Um, it, I, I, it goes back to knowing your products. So, I really think it goes back to knowing your limitations on your network and knowing how many products, in, like in this article, it tells you how many products are you hooking up and what do they need. And I think that's the biggest part is making sure that if you have 15 TVs and you're running it through your IP system that you know the requirements and the specifications ahead of time. And honestly, if you're going into it talking with your distributor, talking with your tech support, uh, I think it's one of those things that these guys are all doing it already. They're just taking it to a little bit larger level and it's not that much more complicated. It's just really recognizing what your system's requirements are and what can, what can they handle. And once they get comfortable with that, they'll be successful with it. I, I really feel, I really feel that because as long as you're abiding by what your parameters are and even what the, you know, the, the industry standards are, um, a lot of this product's been tested a million times to make sure it does work for these dealers and integrators. So my, my, my biggest piece of advice in this, this big trend of I, you know, Wi-Fi and you know, net hot access points and all this is just know your limitations. It's huge. So. Well, I think that's probably the best way to wrap it up. Uh, you know, a lot of information in there. Uh, I mean, we could probably keep on going, but I think this is the perfect, perfect place to put a little bow on all of it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and work our way out. Mark, if people want to find out more about Vanco or get in touch with you, how can they find you? Absolutely. You can find us at Vanco1, that's the number one.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Vanco1 uh, Vanco International. Perfect. Well, always a pleasure having you on. Yeah. Thanks so much, Rich. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun, Jason. Thank you too, buddy. My old friend, so my, what, what, what is it, my, my awkward, my awkward uh, younger uncle, Jason, not, um, if, obviously, we're, we are skewed towards the resi side of the market, if anybody watching this show wants to find out more information about CE Pro, if they don't know about CE Pro, they better find out fast, um, but if they want to find out more about CE Pro, or uh, get in touch with you, or, or any other way, how can they find you on the vast interwebs? Yeah, the, the World Wide Web is still out there. So CEPro.com is our website. Obviously, uh, encourage everybody to um, you know bookmark that and, and, and check it. We can get sign up for the newsletter there, we, which we do four days a week. Um, you can follow me on uh, Twitter, Jason, at Jason W. Knott. We're also on LinkedIn and Facebook. We have uh, a CEPro group 
on both of those platforms. So I encourage you to um, reach out to us with any questions. Great. Well, as my good friend Tim Albright says, don't follow me. Uh, I have far more interesting people I'd like to point you to, like Mark and Jason. But if you do want to find uh, Uncle Richie, you can find me uh, on the interwebs. Type in my name, but you can find me uh, at R. Fragosa on Twitter. Uh, our company, uh, we do have a consulting and programming company that's still around and actually entering our... I have entered my... I have officially entered my third decade in the industry. Uh as of, uh, I think, uh, July 1st. And uh, you could find me on those various places if you do want to follow me. But the best place that I hope you can find me would be on our suite of shows. Uh, obviously, we've got a state of control with my good partner, Steve Greenblatt. We've got uh, all of our other shows. We've got uh, here, we've got Resi Week, all of our verticals. Um, but the best place to find us is on avnation.tv. This is Uncle Richie for Resi Week, heading on out for avnation.tv.